It's March 26th, 2023, and it's Sunday. You're listening to episode 8 of Wes and Shelly Share, Chrysanthemum. Well, Shelly, what exciting location are we in today? Well, it's kind of a cold and rainy day here in Monroe or Matthews, wherever we are. And so we're in our living room, and we have a fire going, and it's actually quite lovely. So we have titled this uh, episode Chrysanthemum. We're going to talk about this book and kind of about some of the dynamics in the classroom and working with children, I guess, and adults too, but just working with people that that um, makes us think about. And then we, we're not going to talk about church camps. We originally brainstormed that. We brainstorm these now on a, like a, a note, an apple. Um, so later we'll talk about that stuff, but I think we're going to talk about your book and ideas that we have for that, and then we've got, ooh, we each have our own Wonderlinks and Wanderlinks. Yes, we do. Okay, so Chrysanthemum by Kevin Hinkies. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. Um, the summary, according to Wikipedia, is, though this was a 1991 children's book, do you want to talk about it before I read the summary, or me read the summary first? No, go ahead and read the summary because that'll give them a context for what we're going to talk about. Okay. Chrysanthemum is a young mouse who loves her unique name until she is teased about it by her classmates. Her main tormentors are three girls named Joe, Rita, and Victoria who ridicule her for being named after a flower and point out that her name is so long it barely fits on a name tag. Chrysanthemum expresses her sadness to her parents who comfort her with her favorite meals and a game of Parcheesi while her father secretly reads a book on child psychology. One day, her class gets a new music teacher named Mrs. Twinkle to help them with an upcoming musical. Chrysanthemum is assigned to be a daisy, which makes Joe, Rita, and Victoria tease her once again. Miss Twinkle confronts them and reveals that her first name, Delphinium, is also long and inspired by a flower. The three apologize to her, and Chrysanthemum's confidence in her name is restored. Later, Mrs. Twinkle gives birth to a daughter whom she names Chrysanthemum. Yes. I forgot that part. Well, how did you encounter this book, or how do you remember encountering this book? What do you, what memories do you have of this book with our own children? I think, um, actually, I I first started it by, I mean, was introduced to it as a book to read to my class. I mean, like I've always loved combining picture books with lessons, classroom lessons, and I'm pretty sure that that's how I discovered. And there's also Lily in the Purple Purse. There's a lot of. Um, the Kevin Hinkie does too, or yeah, yeah, he oh, is. Okay. And then there's. One about Wendell, and he's shy. And anyway, it's it's just a really great book oh. um, to is introduce great, and talk author. about different. Would that have been when you were teaching in Bozeman in Lubbock, or when? I don't know. I don't so it know. was 1991. So that would have been. I don't. So I don't think it was necessarily. But I had Germany. the books already. I had the books already. I mean, I don't know where I first found them, but um, I I think it was more of a classroom book that I actually had or knew about and then would read to the children. Um, So anyway, um, teaching book. I used it as a teaching book, Mm -hmm. but it's really about teaching about kindness Mm -hmm. and um, bullying, which are always big topics. Um, I think it's big topics throughout raising children, Mm -hmm. you know? I mean, we've had to have a lot of talks at school in fifth grade about using kind words and about, and I think this is how you and I started talking about this because I think one day we were talking about just how cruel um, students can be to each other and how words matter. And, you know, we get these, oh, well, I didn't mean to, or I was just kidding. And 
um, you know. Well, we both had those situations happen yeah. even this year. Oh, um, a lot this year. I can think of a, a specific student, um, but it, but he's not the only one. There's others that, well, well, I'm just kidding. Well, we're just friends and I'm joking. Yeah. You know, and I am very, I, maybe I'm hypersensitive to that, but there are just so many dangers present with teasing Mm -hmm. and with humor. And I've actually encountered this misplaced humor with adults. Well, there's all sorts of things that happen, but I'm, I am specifically very experienced with situations where people are teasing and they're trying to use humor, but it's not received well and it's perceived as inappropriate. I've actually been in situations where it's been perceived as workforce harassment. Now it wasn't actually, Reported, reported or, and confronted yeah. in that way, but it well, but it was reported to me, I guess, yeah. you know, and it created a hostile environment. It created an environment where someone did not feel safe. Someone yes. did not feel um, like they wanted to be around that person. Yeah, and this was an adult, mm-hmm. but the situation that happened, you know, with this student this year, you know, I just it was one of those things where we had an interaction about it in class in the moment. And I said, we are not going to use humor as an excuse for being ugly yeah. and, for, and for speaking mm-hmm. in ways that cause people to feel put down or harmed. Yeah. You know, if we're going to use language to talk about other people in this room, we're going to use kind words. I can't control what you do when you're outside this room, but I will not. And, you know, I, as I look back on that, I don't know. I've definitely... I've de- I've had a lot happen this year with the passing of my mom and being emotional and things like that. So I think that probably that particular day and that time that that happened, I think I might have been feeling a little bit more just sensitive about yeah. it. But it is it is something. This book, well, I love how Gail, one I of think, our pastors, uses books yeah, in children's does. sermons and in her sermons. Mm-hmm. And books can really be mm-hmm. a wonderful way to weave together some conversation about important values. Well, absolutely. I mean, the the book is multi-layered too. It's like, you know, you go to school and you're excited about learning and she's skipping and she's excited and she wants to meet her new teacher and make new friends. And, and through these series of opportunities, you know, you know, she, she she's just deflated. She's by deflated and oh. she's not excited anymore. And then she doesn't want to go to school at all. And right. her parents are doing everything they can within their power to, you know, figure out and love her and celebrate and whatever. But, um, and, and I but, just but got really, so mad. I think what the character I got so irritated with was, Mrs. yes, Chud. the girls, but the teacher, Mrs. Mrs. Chud never addresses the issue she never follows up with the issue she just you know no Mm -hmm. go back to your seat it'll be okay you know whatever and so i mean i i feel very strongly that you know teachers need to be intentional about dealing with some of this I, i i place a big responsibility on the teacher in this story this particular classroom teacher um for not Listening, I wrote and doing teachers need about to be it. aware of student interactions and be willing to intervene mm-hmm. because whether Mrs. Chud is just ignorant and doesn't know, but I think she would have to know. I mean, come on, if you're seeing no, students- I, I do think there is you can very much be unaware. I mean, there's all I would say a lot of 
when this happens is at recess Mm -hmm. and when you have four different classrooms and Mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be a fist fight i mean i am very observant of my students but there's a lot that goes on that i am never aware of so many students report it to me then i can deal with it you know and and i think in order for a student to feel like you are trusted you need to build relationships with the students in your classroom and that is a long-term thing or they won't come and talk to you you know or if they feel like you're not going to do anything about it anyway then they don't but I mean I think you have to create a culture of you need to come and talk to me about it I will you know stand up for you I will figure out what's going on um but I think so I do I guess to to push back on what you were saying a little bit, yes, things can definitely happen and you not be aware of it. Yeah. But that's your fault too if you haven't created a culture right. where you are a trusted adult in that classroom or in that child's life. And that's what I'm saying is whether it's a situation you're just unaware of or is something you are aware of and you're not willing to intervene, it is messy. I mean... I have an absolutely lovely and wonderful schedule and just situation at work. Um, We have every, I think it's maybe every three or four weeks. I don't think it's every two weeks. It's like every third or fourth week. We have lunchtime duty. We've got like a 20-minute break in the morning, and then we have an hour. Actually, it's an hour and, well, it's about an hour and five minutes, I guess. For lunch and for uh, afternoon recess, we get out at 11.50 of class, and then at 12.15, kids can go outside to the blacktop or these fields or they can there's a ferry boat or whatever there's like all there's all these different choices of where they can be so i had the blacktop last week and the boys the seventh grade boys are playing basketball and it's getting pretty intense and i had to at one point i had to step in and say look you guys have got to chill out if you guys can't bring it down you're going to step out and these it anyway there's you know just some hotheads um but, you know, that's not fun. That's not something you want to do. It'd be a lot better to just sit there. But this is why you're there. Mm-hmm. You are there as an adult. I mean, of course, we don't want children to be injured. But you're also there to just make sure that everything stays on the up and up. You know, we have yeah. rules. But, see, this is the thing that's interesting. There's so much latitude in terms of classroom culture and how you establish that, I think you are incredibly gifted at being able to craft classroom culture. And you do that through your class meetings or you have historically. And I think you just really, I mean, this is something that you don't just naturally do. And I think that somebody who's a new teacher, like you really need to see this modeled and experienced it. How do you think you learn to do that? And how would you describe your ideal of if you, you know, have full autonomy to be able to, to, to shape things as you want, how do you shape your classroom culture so you don't have a chrysanthemum situation? Well, definitely with intention. Um, one of the books I think that made the biggest is, you know, teaching at Positive Tomorrow's um, really taught me a lot. And Which I for had those that don't autonomy. know, it was a school for with all the kids were homeless. Yes. It in is, Oklahoma City. Yeah. She only taught there four years. And um, and we did have a lot of autonomy with our schedule, um, the resilient classroom. Um, I did a lot of research into that, morning meetings, how to run a morning meeting, um, how to make that a rock in your schedule. And so um, there we had time to build community. 
And I did it in a very, you know, you could have opening circles and closing circles. And I mean, I never went to one of their workshops, the responsive classroom. Resilient or responsive? I think it's responsive. Okay. It's one of those. I'll look it up. I never went to one of their formal workshops, but I read a lot of their books. And I did a lot of work with morning meetings and just my own research and reading their books. And there's a lot, I mean, several actually, um, that would be good. And then just creating a culture of sharing and a culture of, um, and it doesn't all have to be deep and dark. Tell me you're, you know, but, but I think in doing that you build trust and that's, you know, one of the things I learned, especially dealing with students who are experiencing poverty and homelessness, you know, having trust is, is hard, you know, um, and so it was just, it was really important to do that. And um, and so I've always done an element of that. I don't do as much of that now as I used to, except that I still believe um, in providing an, a, a classroom experience where students have choice, real choices, um, where they feel that they are heard and that their choices matter, you know, that we, we do things together um, and so whereas I'm not having the morning sharing and good things and whatever, it just, I don't ever feel like, and we've got other things that we do. We're um, doing the leader in me, um, which is. Now in your current school. Yes, fifth grade. this is something that our school does, the Stephen Covey. And, Who is um, the author? Because I'm not finding it uh, under The Responsive Classroom. Yeah. It's not an author. It's a group. They do workshops and stuff like that. Okay. Um, so. Just Google morning meetings. It should come up. Okay. Um, but I think I think it's just being intentional and then weaving it in with instruction. This is not just a warm and fuzzy thing, but you weave it in with instruction. Yeah, it's responsiveclassroom.org. You know? What is morning meeting? Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Yeah, respon- there you go. responsiveclassroom.org. Responsive. I- yeah, that's mm-hmm. it. And I, I learned the most from that. And, and I have had friends that did do that like my friend Susan Greeting, Paz, who sharing I just, group activity mm-hmm. morning yep. message yeah yeah yep. the um, power of morning meeting yep it is and my friend that I was just talking to she's um, moved to Ecuador now Susan Paz, shout out to you um, but she had taken and done a lot of that and so I learned a lot from her as well um, I'm so, trying to think about where I learned about class meetings um, probably from me I, maybe I did yeah. I mean I know I've learned yeah. from you with it but I'm the original. I mean, it's just. It's just good pedagogy. I've done this with college exactly. students. Exactly. Like, and yes. I'm really, even with my advisory, one of the frustrations, I love being an advisor. I love the fact that we have advisory. Um, we did at Cassidy in middle school, and we do, you know, at my current school here in Charlotte. And, but we really don't have much time at all or haven't this year just to be with our kids. And when kids just. And this is not just kids. This is adults of any age. One of the worst is teaching in a computer lab with a fixed desk and everyone's behind the fixed right. desk. When I was teaching at Wayland Baptist University in Lubbock, Texas, it was my first time I got to teach some undergraduate and also graduate courses. And I did the technology integration courses. Oh, where was that? And then that came from, huh, Doug Simpson, who was my John Dewey and Paulo Freda professor at tech influenced me a lot but at some point I was reading something from you because that was before positive tomorrows that's when we were in Lubbock 
Maybe it was Jane Nelson and Positive Discipline. I think that's where it came from. Maybe, yeah. Yeah. And so, anyway, I would ask for another classroom that was just a regular classroom, not the lab. And then we could just put the chairs in a circle. Literally just getting in a circle around it with each other and facing each other. And then sometimes you go around, oh, that's right. Because then we would do compliments. (laughs) So you'd start with a compliment um, and then sometimes you'd popcorn and sometimes you just go right around. But I know with a responsive classroom, you've got the morning greeting and you change that and what you say. So there's different ways of doing that. But Well, and I do an element of it now. I mean, it's not that, but even in the, at the end of the day, asking questions. And the other day, it was interesting. I was doing my exit question, the kids going out in the hall. And I said, what was the most challenging thing for you today? Mm -hmm. And so that was kind of what their exit ticket as they leave to go get Mm -hmm. on the bus. And so my principal was walking by the door and I I saw him kind of noticing, Mm -hmm. but later when he came in to talk to me about, he had been in my classroom and he said, what was that thing you were doing? I said, that's just part of how I build culture with my kids Mm -hmm. is, you know, I have a question for them and every day it's Mm -hmm. something different. And sometimes it's about something a nugget during the day or something that they remember but yes I mean that day I felt like it had been a challenging day for all of us but I didn't want to pick on that but you know one thing that was challenging for them today anyway it's just building classroom culture building classroom community letting them know and find their voice you know um, and have a voice um, in their classroom and so anyway, going back to chrysanthemum, I, you know, Mrs. Chud did not do a good job of listening to her students and addressing the issues that were surrounding them, but Mrs. Twinkle did, and Mrs. Twinkle cared yeah. about the kids, and the students loved her, and, and so Mrs. Twinkle, in her way, without getting on and whatever to these students, but, oh yeah, well, my name's Delphinium, and oh, and anyway, but addressed it with the girls, and to the point where, you know, she did, and so she modeled kindness, she, she modeled, modeled kindness, respect, she, she modeled expectations yeah. in her classroom, so, um, and I think, I think it's important as teachers to be aware, and as parents, and as parents, because this is a book that we we have always in our classroom insisted that our children be kind to each other, right. and we didn't tolerate right. meanness, and we didn't tolerate this. Oh well, they're going to be fussing their siblings. No, absolutely not. You know, I mean, building a a culture of kindness in our own family. You know, we don't treat people that way. And I think that's important. Okay. I want to talk more about that family part. Maybe we'll talk about your book even later. But we got to take a break. We've been talking for 19 minutes. Okay. It's break time. This episode of Wes and Shelley Shares is brought to you by Cook with Wes. Cook with Wes is my, Wes Fryer's, personal passion project, sharing lots of food photos, a few recipe videos, lots of barbecue and smoked meat adventures, and many other recipes from my indoor and outdoor kitchens. You can find all our family recipes on food.westfryer.com and follow Cook with Wes on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, and Twitter. If you're on Mastodon, and really, why not, since Twitter has become a bit of a dumpster fire, you can search for the hashtag CookWithWes to find my latest food shares there. Well, I did start a separate YouTube channel for Cook with Wes, but I've continued to post most of my cooking videos on YouTube on my main channel. You can access the complete playlist at wfryer.me cook. 
Thanks for tuning in to Wes and Shelly Shares. I hope to see you on social media on one of the channels for Cook with Wes. Okay, we're back for the second half. Um, I want to do a shout out to another book, which ties to Jane Nelson, Positive Discipline in the Classroom. And this is how I learned about Jane Nelson. She co-authored a book that my mother shared with me. Um, The book was with Stephen Glenn, and it's called Raising Self-Reliant Children in a Self-Indulgent World. Stephen Glenn was one of the authors that my mother studied and heard from. I think she maybe directly heard from him when she was part of the school team training initiative that was at Manhattan High School in Kansas in the late, mid-1980s. And and part of what that was aspiring to do was to build school culture that would be proactive in helping address and prevent students from engaging in self-destructive behavior, which could take a lot of different forms. And so anyway, resilience positive discipline, classroom community came into that, school psychology, there's, there's a whole lot. But that had an influence on me uh, early on in life, and then Ben and I became a teacher. And I think those are great, great resources. And um, what I'd like to do now is kind of shift it, you already did a little bit, to talk about the family. So we were talking about this, I don't know, yesterday or what, I think it was yesterday, like there's some tension between the authority, the authority and authoritarianism that you have as a parent and a teacher, and then your desire to not ugh, beat your children and be a tyrant and cause them to rebel. And you know, like I am the classroom teacher, so in the situation where we have something going on, I will bring out my authoritarian card and say. We will not do that in this classroom. You know, I mean, that's very much an assertion of I am in charge and I am going to tell you what to do. But, you know, with parenting and with teaching, too, there's a fine line to walk in there because you want to honestly empower your children, your students. And, you know, in order to build a culture and a climate where people are sharing and willing to be vulnerable, like you can't just do that by bossing kids around or or bossing your your, think. There are boundaries. There are boundaries within a classroom. And if we go back to just, let's just go back to the kindness. There are boundaries that you just should not cross. Mm-hmm. You know, there are there are boundaries that, that you do have to set up. We will not have that kind of language or we will not mm-hmm. have that kind of in, in this classroom. And that's right. just a boundary, you know. And I think... I think students and children need boundaries and they need clear boundaries. It's not, you know, well, it's this gray area that, you know, no, it's like there are students need to learn. There are certain words you don't say. Maybe you can say those at home, but we're not going to say that. Well, it's where the the world can try to come in, whether it's popular culture, you know, music. It came out the other day with a YouTuber that my students, um, I just heard it. I, I they weren't you heard, watching you it, heard but his I name. heard his name come up, and I was like, "Nope, absolutely not." I said, "I don't do this very often, but that is a boundary. You will not. We will not. You know, listen to this because I knew because you and I had discussed. I don't even want to mention this name, but 
that there are just some things that are not appropriate. Not appropriate yeah. And um, and so and I the can unfortunate do that. thing in that context is if you say it out loud, then everybody's going to go look. And every it. Yeah. flies it. Oh, here, so, let me go Google that. What was yeah. that? How do you spell that? So I think, um, but I do think our role as parents and as teachers mm-hmm. is to set clear boundaries of you know I do think it's important to listen and give some leeway and in, in order for students to make choices, but. If you can't make a good choice, if you're crossing a boundary, then then I need to gear you back to the mm, right, you know. Right. Uh, and so, I mean, <sighs> there are just certain things that, that need to be made very clear. So how does that look in the family? How does that look with, with our kids? How do you remember? Well, I remember reading Chrysanthemum for sure to mm-hmm. the kids. How do you remember walking that line and, and setting up those well, expectations? I, we, did not tolerate our children being ugly to each other, um, saying mean things, or, um, oh, and I know that the kids, if they listen to this, they'll remember this, but there was a, one of the very few times that I think I ever had to raise my voice at Alexander or, you know, have any type of consequences, but is one time he was being mean to Sarah and she, kind of blocking her in a closet, you know, and not letting her out. Yeah, it was in the pantry, but blocking her in there, not letting her out. And I I just, I'm not going to tolerate you being mean to others in that way. You know, it was just, um, whether it was with our words or actions, I think it was. Um, It just was. But sometimes with, with, and this can be, with your family or it's with the classroom like you how do you set boundaries and establish boundaries well it's sometimes through it's through enforcing boundaries it's once the boundary has been crossed Mm -hmm. what do you do and how do you handle that Mm -hmm. and sometimes that is something that's visible you know it is really great to praise in public and to to criticize or punish privately and hopefully you don't have to punish but administer consequences a lot of times those are private, but not always. And sometimes, especially if something's been egregious or it's happened in the whole class, like nipping it in the bud, no, we are not going to do that. You need to go over here or, you know, you, you do something. And then you can talk about it later privately. But sometimes the intervention in the classroom has to be publicly. And I think in the, mm-hmm. in the family it can be too. Yeah. Boy, margin plays into that, doesn't it? It does. How does it play into that, you think? I'm thinking that just, man, if you're I am less really tolerant stressed. of things at the end of the day than I am at the beginning of the day. I mm-hmm. do know that. And yeah. if I am really tired, then, you know, as a as a working mom, it was really hard to have a long work day and then come home and be a parent. And mm-hmm. I know as a child of teachers, I face that. And yeah. as a teacher and having my own children, I face that. And sometimes, you know, um, that's some of the challenges of being a teacher um, is being a parent and a teacher and um, just... I think we have pretty compatible <sighs> parenting styles, yeah. and I'm sure that's evolved over time. Can you want to talk about that? Because how important is that, to have similar philosophies of parenting with your spouse? I mean, I think having similar... I mean, definitely... I, I don't know that that's something we sat down and discussed or even, I mean. 
I think we're very blessed that we I think end we're up very blessed. And I know that we don't always a hundred percent agree and sometimes um you know, we tag team parenting, you know, but we're always in conversation with each other. Well we always I mean, wanted to never, never be played against yeah. one another. Like if you didn't um, allow this or I did or something like that. Or if I felt like in the moment, I mean, that I didn't agree with something, I wouldn't necessarily address it in front of that well, you're, time. You're not and, a confrontational and, person. No, in, but like I do think going back in later and saying, hey, you know, you need to maybe go back in and think about, let's talk you about know, this. let's talk How about that, you, you know. Um, and I think, so I think it is good that we had similar um, expectations of our children. Um, well, and I just think that it's, it's super important. The degree to which you behaviors. can discern. I mean, one of the ways that you figure things out is you go... Spend time with someone that you're very interested in. Well, you know it's you, hard you when hang you're out dating. With their family. It's hard when you're dating no, no. to talk about kids and no. how would you do this? But no. this is what I'm saying: is you go proximity. see, you go yeah. see how their family is. Absolutely. How do their how, how does, do they treat each other? How does their somebody parent? always said that you you see how that man that boy there treats his mother. How do they treat their mother? You know, I mean. Yeah. You um, learn a lot through those kinds of interactions, mm-hmm. right? And it's not to say that, I mean, look, nobody has a perfect family. No. And tons of people, y- y- families are in all shapes and sizes. And so there's no, I, I'm not wanting to say anything like, oh, this is what it has to be. I just, we're learning this at church with proximity, right? Mm-hmm. You have to have proximity in order to build relationship, in order to get to know, in order to understand. And we're talking about this in the context at church of of poverty and homelessness. But when it comes to just trying to get to know someone, and especially when you're thinking about, is this somebody that I want to maybe spend the rest of my life with, be committed to, I think that it's very important to spend time with their family. And I think it's not only important to see them with you spend time with their family. It's important for you to see them with your family. Right. And the natural, yeah. I think it needs to go both ways. Somebody had once told me to date somebody through all four seasons, you know, um, to take that time to really um, to see. And I do think that that is hugely important mm. um, because you don't marry just a person. You marry their family, too. And well, and you you marry all of the baggage mm-hmm. that they. I mean, you marry their debt. You yeah. marry the trauma that they've had. You marry everything, and and so you want to try. I think to have pretty open eyes, yeah. you know, with what you're getting yourself yeah. into, and and be sure you're ready for that, and that they're ready for you, right? right. Because if you can't be completely yourself and transparent, you know, then somebody may, they may be getting into something that they don't, I don't know, that they're not ready for. That you for. can't get out of. Right. Too. Well, or that or just. not easily. Yeah, right. Okay. Well, that was great. That was a good discussion of chrysanthemum. Mm-hmm. We won't go into it into detail, but let's just briefly say, what's inspiring you to think about writing a book? I think her name is Michelle Nicole Stott. Stott. Nicole Stott. Nicole Stott wrote a book. Um, And she's an astronaut, and things that she experienced as an astronaut. I don't know. What's the title of the book? Do you have it there? I'll Google it. Yeah, but um, about being an astronaut and seeing, she talks in the introduction. I've just read the introduction. I haven't read the whole book. I'm going to get it for you on Audible. um, But it's called, what is it called? The Earth Effect? Well, the overview effect. The overview effect, what, that's right. So, so many astronauts talk about 
um, that that picture that was taken of seeing the Back Earth from Earth, space. What life in space taught me about our home planet and our mission to protect yeah. it. Yeah. So at one point, I was listening to a podcast where she was being interviewed, and I thought, you know what, I should write a book about what being a teacher has taught me about school. Um, well, about learning, about or life. about learning and about life, and so anyway. You know, Wes is always talking about writing books, and I never had talked about writing books. But when I mentioned about writing a book, of course, he got all excited about writing a book. So, I don't know. It's just something that I'm tossing around because as I was reflecting, you know, when I first started teaching, um, it was before computers. It was before the internet. It was... Before cell phones. Before phones. Remember the first Um, cell phone? It was just... There was... Things were different, and I don't know. I think there's a lot of opportunities now, and good, bad, or ugly, you know. But I think I've taught. I feel like in in two different worlds, mm-hmm. and in many different worlds, I've taught. Um, a lot of teachers don't teach at many different schools. I mean, they stay in one district, and they, you know, and I have taught. In Germany, and I've taught homeless students, and I've taught very wealthy students, and I taught in Lubbock, Texas. I mean, you've I've taught, taught in, in taught yeah, in I've North moved Carolina. a thousand miles away. I mean, so well, I think Germany throughout my teaching career, um, I've taught in a lot of different situations, and I've learned a lot of things, and and I think it's just really unique um, perspectives mm-hmm. that I have, and both of my parents were teachers, That's and so right. I had their perspectives. You have my a legacy sister, of and great teaching. Yeah, there's in a your lot family. of legacy, and so I just thought, I don't know, maybe maybe it's just a legacy to a memoir, you know. But yeah, um, well, we see things, and we see things, especially in public. For me, education. it'd be like reflective, right? You know? But we see things that are not as they should be, and so you, you want to reflect on. Things as you've seen them and experienced yeah, them, yeah. But I don't want it. I don't want it to be a book of oh, back in the good old days, because it's not that either. There, there were some things that weren't so great. Absolutely. And so it's I about just, the school that you love, though. That's what it we're is, that's, about and that. that's the name of my book, the yeah. school that I love. Right. And and you know, partly it's bits and pieces of a lot of the different places that I've taught. Um, as no situation is ever perfect, and so. Um, but I just doing some reflecting on that. Yeah. Um, so anyway. Awesome. All right. We'll talk more about that later. Yeah. We're starting there to brainstorm it out. Hey, have a place to put ideas. Uh, trusted place you can put them. For me, it used to be Evernote, and now it's <laughs> Apple Notes that sync to iCloud. It's time for Wonderlinks and Wanderlinks. We should do like a little interlude song, but I'm not going to do that. Well, actually, we should. Nope, I'm going to do it. Not right now. It's time for Wonderlinks and Wanderlinks. All right, Shelly, what's your Wonderlink this week? My Wonderlink is a podcast that I've been listening to. It's called The Last Soviet. So um, I think I've done this Wonderlink before. Um, it's a space podcast that I love listening to called Are We There Yet? And, and he interviewed um, Lance Bass. Um, and who was a singer for in sync boy band. Um, but so interesting. So he is now Lance Bass hosting a podcast called the last Soviet. 
Um, and it starts out by the history of the Russian space program, which was secret for so long, and then some interesting Soviet cosmonauts. Um, and it's just been fascinating. There are a lot of history that I didn't know. Um, and the one I'm listening to right now is, um, it's like episode three, and it is called, oh, sorry, I'm looking at, I don't know what it is, but no experience necessary. So, um, so Lance Bass, yes, was in, in sync. And so MTV paid his way through some kind of whatever to go and be trained as a cosmonaut. Now he had a history in science and a history of wanting to be an astronaut. And I mean, he, he had a lot of scientific, you know, background in addition to being a boy band. But um, anyway, and so this is the one I'm listening to right now is about a British woman um, who also went and trained to be a cosmonaut. And man, talk about a grueling, grueling um, training. And as I think about my daughter who's getting ready, who would like to be an astronaut and go through this, I'm like, oh my word. Um, But anyway, and so, and also being Women's History Month, I've been listening to the history of women in our space program. Um, Again, I've lived through some very unique times, you know, about, um, you know, Nicole Stott. She was a women astronaut when at a time where very few women were being allowed to even do that. I mean, it was such a new program. You've been really struck lately about Um, just how recently women have been permitted to do a lot of things. Well, and I guess I just never really thought about the inequities that women have had, um, especially in sciences, especially in math, especially... Um, and it's just in very recent years, you know, in the last 50 years that women have been, you know, encouraged to go into anyway. So there's a whole other thing, but this podcast is absolutely fascinating. They're each about 40 minutes long. Um, great, very, um, detailed history, very well done. Um, definitely for everyday people. Um, but I love it because it's historical. I love it because it it does a deep dive into um, the psyche of the Russian programs, um, which, by the way, is why we are so, you know, there was that space race in the very beginning between Russia and and the United States um, getting into space. And so a um, lot of experience there. Anyway, it's just, I would highly recommend this if, if you're into space. Okay. Okay. Mine is related, and it's a, a document a, doc, a documentary series. <coughs> Excuse me. It's a BBC documentary series by Adam Curtis, and it's called Trauma Zone. It's about Russia from 1985 to 1999, and I'll include this um, Guardian article that tells a lot about it. But basically, he got access to – he's a filmmaker for the BBC. He got access to – something like 60,000 hours of video, or tens of thousands of hours. Um, and I've only watched the first episode, but it's, and there's not commentary on top of it, as there often is in a documentary. It really just shows life in the Soviet Union leading up to the fall and then at the fall. And one of the reasons I think we need to be studying this and learning about this is Russia today is not perceptually the Russia pre-Ukraine war invasion. You know, when Putin decided to invade Ukraine, he showed the world who he is and unfortunately put our nations on a collision course for war. And 
while I've heard some good commentators talk about how this isn't a proxy war for between the United States and Russia, I mean, it is really, it is truly an existential fight in for Ukraine's survival, you know, because if Russia wins, Ukraine ceases to exist as an independent nation. And so anyway, there's just a lot of layers to this, but it's crazy to realize that we have this incredibly brutal and horrific war that's in its second year. And while historically, and, you know, Shelly enjoys the space program and all these aspects, I mean, that will affect our daughter. The, the war right now in the Ukraine is going to affect Yes. I think that the end, the cessation of, at some point in, not, in the not-too-distant future, most likely the collaboration between Russia and the United States, unless there's some seismic political change where, you know, Putin and, and that, neg- that anti-Western administration, um, you know, unless that changes. Okay, it's a little da- bit of a downer there, but hey, those are good, re- good links. Let's talk about Wanderlinks. What's your Wanderlink? Um, oh, this is awesome. So I got to go. I had um, a friend from school invite me for breakfast. And so a couple friends. Um, and they're two of our DLI uh, teachers, um, dual language. Um, immersion. Immersion language. Yeah, immersion class at school. Um, so Liana and Delgado and then Daniela um, Duarte. Um, anyway, and Daniela is from... Columbia, and so they invited me to a Colombian restaurant, and we had a Colombian breakfast, and it was just, oh man, it was just amazing. And I kind of got teary because they were um, the first people that actually invited me to go out and and do something, you know, just since we've lived here. Yeah, since we've lived here. I mean, I've made arrangements to go, you know, and I've had you know things, but you know what? It was really nice for somebody to just say, "Hey, let's go to breakfast," you know. The restaurant's called Las Americas. Panadiera Colombiana, and the uh, the website is ColombianRestaurantLasAmericas.com. I'll include that in the show notes. And it was so good because I learned a little bit about Colombian um, culture and bread. Bread is really important, and they're really specific about their bread. And I got to try some traditional Colombian bread. It's kind of a fry bed. It wasn't sweet, but, boy, I haven't had bread in a long time because it was kind of off my program. But, oh, it was so good, and it was so lovely. Um, to get to visit and just hear about their experiences. Um, Liana's gonna, she's taking a job in Denver, Colorado, and we'll be moving out. And Daniela, this is her first year. I don't remember if I, yes, I, maybe. Um, but anyway, so I'm, it's really nice. Um, I was, it was wonderful. And so that was kind of my wander. I got to wander and find a new restaurant and have a lovely um, breakfast with friends. And you're going to take me there sometime. It's an I-A-N-A. Okay, well, we'll do that in a minute. Yeah. All right, and mine is uh, Wednesday we went to the John G's food truck in Monroe. Monroe is the town where Shelly uh, teaches, and John G's is the most amazing barbecue we found in North Carolina. They're out in Peachland, and you can only only go to their, their uh, physical location on Saturday. But the food truck goes around. They're really hard to book and schedule. Um, and lo and behold, the actual owner of John G's. Oh, Wes was so starstruck. Here oh, comes yeah. this guy, and he says, hey, aren't you cook with Wes? And Wes is like, well, yeah, how do you know that? Anyway, and he introduced himself, and it was Mr. John G himself recognizing I had, Wes. I had made a video about their place and their barbecue um, when we went out there last summer for my birthday. And he wasn't there. They had a wedding or something. And so 
Anyway, we got to visit and learn about his background and his backstory. And I got a picture. I'll put a link to the picture in there. Uh, it was really, it was really cool. I love barbecue. Okay, Shelly, how can people connect with you if they want to interact with you digitally? Oh, you always ask me this question and I never know. You can follow me on Facebook. Um, that's where I spend a lot of my time now. Um, I'm not so much into Twitter anymore, but I am at S Fryer on Twitter and Shelly Fryer on Facebook. Um, but I also have a blog where I think Wes is posting all of these and it's ShellyFryer.com, um, is my website slash something slash something. So ShellyFryer.com slash podcast. Yeah, that's it. And I'm Wes Fryer. I'm W Fryer on Twitter. I'm not leaving Twitter, although I've thought about it. I'm still, I'm on Mastodon. I'm on, I cross post to both. But uh, you can just, and I'm on Facebook, of course. So you can go to westfryer.com slash after. So until next time, we encourage you to stay curious, go outside. And have adventures. There you go. Have a great week. Wes and Shelley Share is a weekly podcast recorded and published on Sundays by Wesley and Shelley Fryer of Matthews, North Carolina. Learn more and find links to connect on social media to Wes and Shelley by visiting shellyfryer.com slash podcast. Content on this podcast is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Only 3.0 license. The Wes and Shelley Share podcast is recorded and published with Anchor and distributed on all major podcast channels, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, and more. Please share our show on social media and tell others about us. Let us know on Facebook or via other means what you like about the show, that you're listening, and if you have any suggestions for future episodes. Stay curious, go outside, and keep exploring.